Hello and welcome to Softcats Explaining podcast series. This means we are into episode six of season five. And unlike Netflix subscribers, we continue to increase listeners. Maybe it's because we provide original content and we don't keep raising our prices. In fact, this podcast is absolutely free. So if you like this episode and want to listen to more, you can listen to previous episodes. We talk about the metaverse, the future of working and raise the biggest question of the year. Are VPNs dead? Spoiler alert, the answer is no. And you can even contact us via our WhatsApp feature. So please feel free to ask questions and provide feedback by messaging us on 07548 759 732. That's 07548 759 732. My name is Dean Gardner, Softcats Field Chief Technology Officer. We're here to explain it. Every episode, our team of experts are here to talk tech in simple, jargon-free language. Over the course of this series, we'll be discussing new trends and ideas, as well as solutions to everyday problems in this fascinating and ever-changing world of tech. So the key is in the title, and on that note, I will introduce today's topic, Zero Trust, Zero Chance, which is not a statement that relates to relationship counselling, but it does link into delivering a security strategy formed around something called Zero Trust. This is also now a middle episode of our security trilogy, so hopefully this is our Empire Strikes Back moment. We'll see. During this podcast, we will ask what Zero Trust is, how easy or hard is it to adopt a Zero Trust strategy, and do you need to change your existing strategy to adopt this type of model? To answer those questions and much more, I'm once again joined by Adam Luca, Chief Technologist for Security at Softcat, and Rajiv Kapoor, Director of IT Engineering from our lovely friends at Sophos. Thank you for joining me today and on to the first question to Rajiv. Rajiv, what does Zero Trust actually mean? Zero Trust is an interesting concept. So it's around making application access decisions, not based on your uh, network, where you're coming from, but actually based on who are you and your device posture. So instead of thinking, hey, I'm on a VPN or I'm from the office in this location because I know your public IP, it's very much focused on who are you and well, what's your device? Do I know your device? Is it managed? What, what's its state? And then who are you? Have I verified your identity? Are you really who you say you are? So it's kind of shifting the control point away from a network, which you know potentially may be untrusted or have you know people on there that shouldn't be on there focusing more on the device and, and the user. The interesting thing that it also does is kind of move away from this idea of um, authenticating once, isn't it? You kind of get to this kind of continual authentication piece. So rather than, hey, we authenticated Rajiv as, as, as fine and his device was okay at the point of authentication, but actually what happened if 30 seconds later the device falls out of compliance or starts to show signs of malicious activity or abnormally, actually that continual re-authentication process ensures that the application or infrastructure that's being accessed can appropriately respond to that change in device state. If we think about issuing a ticket, so in Active Directory we have this idea of Kerberos, the, the kind of authentication system that sits behind what most of our systems use, we issue a ticket when you sign into Windows, you get given a ticket and that's your ticket that you then hand to every application to say, hey, here's my proof that I'm allowed to access you. Um, the problem with that is that ticket lasts for hours. You know, So actually, if all of a sudden your device becomes compromised, it might have all been good when you were given the ticket. You know, you were a really nice person when you were given access to the uh, theme park, but you've, you've had a few beers and you've become malicious. Um, and all of a sudden now we can't kick you out anymore or it's quite difficult to revoke access. So that's the other thing that's really interesting about Zero Trust. So exactly as Rajiv described, you know, moving away from the network to the user, also looking at that continual access and continual reauthentication piece as well. 
So is it continually authenticating at this stage for the user and the device? Because you said there's, there's a ticket that keeps you on and then obviously something can happen in between that. But is it, is it always communicating? Is it always polling? How, does it, how is that working? I suppose the way to sort of think about this is it's, you know, today when we authenticate or we, we grant access in the traditional world, it's a point in time. I knew about you at that, at that moment of authentication and then I didn't have any way of reevaluating. As we move into the zero trust world, we can continuously reevaluate. So as we get signals that might change your device state, so your device might drift out of compliance because it's not patched now for seven days, or your user might drift out of compliance because we're seeing risky behavior, we can then re-challenge or we can start to revoke access. So it's not, I think, necessarily continuously prompting the user because you know, the user experience is really, really important. For the user, a lot of this is invisible. It's happening in the background. It's about going, actually, it's no longer a sort of almost like a binary good-bad. It starts to become a continuum of actually your device might have a score, of let's say, 80 out of 100, but that score might drop as it becomes unpatched or because we see a particular security event or we see a vulnerability. So behind the scenes, there's a lot that can happen to say, actually, the device state is maybe it's a bit less binary and it's a bit more looking towards a sort of continuum of how much do I trust this device? How much do I trust this user? Yeah, as always, the uh, the complexities under the hood as, as, as actually most good IT solutions should be, you know, they should be incredibly complicated behind the scenes and incredibly simple from the user side. But um, yeah, this, the software typically deployed as part of a zero trust solution, you know, will be continually communicating back to the uh, central enforcement point to essentially share those signals, share that information about the state of the device. And then, you know, should, as Rajiv described, it fall out of compliance or we see anomalies or, or malicious activity, the enforcement point may make a different decision or the enforcement engine may make a different decision to essentially say, actually, you're now no longer above the level of trust I, I need you to be to allow you to access this application. Therefore, the enforcement point is now going to close. You know, I love an analogy. You know, it's it's a little bit like, you know, if you think about going to a club, we often use bouncers as great analogies for firewalls. You ever try and talk to a non-technical person about what a firewall is, you'll always say, oh, it's a bouncer at the edge of the network. And a bouncer is great because they're going to check if you're malicious on the way into the club. Yeah. But the problem is you get into the club and you become malicious then what do you do? Well, actually, the security has to run inside the pub and drag you out, don't they? But there's that lag, isn't there? There's a lag time between the person at the edge of the pub and rip pulling you out of the pub. Well, this is like having a bouncer attached to you at all times because the bouncer is following you around and is looking for any indication of your behavior change. You know, it could be that you get a bit loud. It could be that you're, you know, you're starting to display behavior that's unacceptable. And the reaction time is now much more rapid than what we had previously. So if you were trying to think about it non-technically, that's how I try and explain it. And certainly after 10 pints... <laughs> things probably could go south quite quickly. So yeah, policing that's probably a good thing. Is zero trust a new concept? Because obviously we've been securing users and devices for, for years, but is it is it an evolution or is it a completely new thing in terms of how we're securing users and devices? I mean, the concept of zero trust has been around for, for quite a while. It was first really talked about in, in a forum called the Jericho Forum, which I believe was in the early 2000s, actually, as a, as a concept, you know, and it was this idea that authentication and security approaches needed to evolve. And there was a number of CISOs sitting as part of that that forum and discussing this idea of deprimitarization. 
Um, so, you know, this is 20 years ago, this kind of idea was first conceived. And, you know, 20 years ago, the, the internet applications, SaaS apps just didn't really exist in the way they do today. But they really had the foresight to see that the future wasn't going to be about everything sitting behind a firewall. Um, and they started to think of some of the principles that would be needed to achieve security in those different environments. So, yeah, it, it's definitely been around for a long time as a concept. As always, the tech takes times to catch up. I think there's been various attempts to achieve this type of um, adaptive security, you know, risk-based, adaptive are terms that we've used in the security world for a long time. Even Sophos, in, in their world, you know, they've had this idea of um, synchronized security for a long time, this idea of sharing state between an endpoint and a, and a, a network device to allow the each device to make a better decision about each other. But I think we're probably only in the last few years reached the point of maturity that this is ready for the for the real time to be operationalized to actually be used in anger in the majority of environments Rajiv I mean you, you you've implemented this for real what what do you think yeah so I mean about three quarters of the Sophos corporate user estate is on a zero trust model um, and yeah the, the concept has been around for well over a decade but I think the technology really started to emerge and join up together maybe five, six years ago. Before that, I think it could always be viewed as a bit of a science experiment that, you know, it, it worked great in a lab. It worked great for a really, you know, niche use case or for particular types of users. But over the last, you know, maybe about, about six years ago, the technology really started catching up to this joined up ecosystem, especially around identity and the end user devices, the, the you know, explosion of SaaS apps which has made it achievable. But as a concept, it has been around for a while. And so, Rajiv, is this the death of a firewall? Is this the traditional networks? If we, if we talk just quickly about the history there, you know, you're in a data center, you stick a couple of firewalls in, everything sits behind the firewalls, you're in the four walls of a DC, maybe two data centers that replicate in between them. That's kind of the the traditional IT model. Now we have public cloud SaaS software as a service, all these things that we've talked about in previous episodes. And you just mentioned a couple there, the firewall model of being able to secure behind it. Is it gone? Is it, is it a dying thing? I think it's more of an evolution. So what we're asking the firewall to do has, has changed. And I think you're always going to need a firewall because you, you need to pass network traffic. You need to know, what that that traffic is should it be allowed to pass so the firewall is still crucial to this but it's playing maybe a slightly different role in in how we allow that traffic to pass so we're, we're more we're more concentrated on actually what's the device that's coming from what, what what's the user that's coming from but that, that traffic still has to pass through a firewall the firewall is still critical in all of this and i think when we talk about about zero trust you know my my experience has been for the end user side so you know a human connecting to a machine yeah, the technology's there, it's well established now, this is achievable. When you start getting onto machine to machine, it's a bit more difficult. And there, you know, what we would call maybe the traditional models where you do have a lot of firewall and it's still very, very critical. But yeah, firewall's still here to stay, still critical to the the overall delivery path. Yeah, I can't see a world where the firewall disappears. I think the firewall will just evolve to play another role. It's also, I think we've expected too much of firewalls. Like firewalls have become this like crazy bloated devices where actually, you know, they started out really just being quite relatively simple network devices. And then we've put all next gen features on them and they become VPNs and remote access gateways. And all of a sudden they're, they're now incredibly complex. And, and this maybe is taking some of those 
features off of the firewall and putting them in a different place and it may be more appropriate place for a more cloud-centric environment especially for SaaS as we start to see network traffic change and the profile of how we communicate with applications change as well um Rajiv I'm really interested you know in your zero trust journey you know what if we started at the beginning what what was kind of drove you to start to explore zero trust as, as an approach and and what kind of accelerated that as you as you went along really yeah, so we, we, we started our journey, or we, we started really talking about zero trust about four years ago. Some of the building blocks, which I'll talk about, you know, were implemented before that. And it was it was driven initially by user experience. I think I was sat in an office, we had somebody come in, fly into an office for a day to pick up a device because the provisioning had to be done on a trusted network to get access to the, some of the apps that they needed to for that first day one onboarding. You had to be on a trusted network. And... That just didn't make sense. You know, that's not a great user experience. And then we were seeing a trend in, in tickets where, you know, people going, oh, I'm trying to work from home. I'm trying to access application X. It's not working. Turns out the user hadn't connected a VPN or they the some of the other connection technologies being used were misbehaving. And our users were just expecting stuff to work because they've grown up and they've got used to, you know, Google Docs. It just works over the Internet. So. One of the big drivers was user experience. I don't think our users were getting a great experience outside of the office. And, you know, even four years ago, we were seeing an increase in remote working, people you know, wanting to do a day at home and just being productive. The other big driver was, you know, looking at you know, our overall security posture. So, you know, security is a multi-layered onion, and it's around actually how can we uh, continue to add, add barriers? You know, does somebody in marketing need to be able to see our source code system probably not and then there was just around helping make the business a bit more flexible so historically when you when you start to do MA or you deploy new offices you get into this well hey to get a back in the day you know an mpls or to get in the you know technology deployed on site it takes time it increases the lead time and being able to so actually all we need is an internet connection because as long as the device can access the internet, we'll validate the device, we're going to validate the user. That means you can spin up a new office quickly. That means we can accelerate the MA process so day one is productive for that new company. So it was really, there were security benefits, there were business benefits, and it was really around improving the user experience and improving our, our overall security posture. And, and that's what personally really excites me about Zero Trust Network Access or ZTNA as, a, as an area is... Um, I often think being the security guy on the call, it, it's quite nice to be able to sit there and go, hey, we, you know, here's, here's some things we can make life easier for everyone. You know, we can make the user experience better. We can deliver time value back to the business. You know, it, it's really a business enabling technology that sits within the security bucket or even networking and connectivity bucket as well now. Um, Rajiv, you, you know, we met at a, um, a connectivity roundtable we were running and and uh, and I want you to share a, a comment, if you don't mind, you, you made on at that event for our, for our listeners. So you, you made a comment about the future you see, you know, and actually where you see zero trust network access going. Do you mind sharing that that opinion you had in terms of network access replacement? Yeah, so I think I think it's as things like five G start to accelerate. As I care more about, have you got an internet connection? It's not have you got a fixed IP range. As you've got a five G connection, actually, can I shift my connectivity to? I've chucked a five G SIM in your device. I don't need Wi-Fi. You just get internet connectivity, and you can access corporate resources as needed. And I think it's a it's an interesting model because will will it disrupt 
the way we're deploying offices today, will we go actually, instead of putting uh, Wi-Fi in, it's better just to put 5G in? And this is a discussion we're having now because, you know, if we're going to start equipping our end-user computer state with 5G SIMs, eSIMs, the price point isn't there today, but in two to three years, it might, you know, 5G may come down in, in price point and we'll have the, the sort of technology there. That means we can go, hey, yeah, you've got 5G SIM, you've got always-on connectivity. And you've got access to all of your resources. And I think this kind of marries up to where we're seeing the consumer side go. And so one of the things that, you know, again, I've noticed in IT over the years is the corporate experience is caught up to the consumer experience. Um, you know, you're, you can buy a tablet device today. It comes with a data SIM. You never connect it to your Wi-Fi. You're done. And you can access all of your online services. And that's why I think some of our corporate side will head, especially as we continue to adopt this ZTNA approach. And on that then, because you mentioned, obviously, you're moving into 5G and being able to simplify how people connect and access applications and data. And we're going to have an episode coming up actually later in the season around 5G specifically, because I think there's a whole world of change that has to happen there. Does this kind of model of zero trust, and you've mentioned about evolving how the users access and, and evolving your networking landscape, does it then open up opportunity or does it open up risk and does it open up complexity? Almost you've changed this thing. Now, potentially you're going to have to change several other things thereafter to make it really work effectively. I think for the user, this is only going to get simpler and better. You know, things will just connect. They won't be going, oh, I need to spin up this VPN. I need to enter this challenge for my VPN. I think, I think for the IT side, some of it gets simpler because we're going, hey, has your device got an internet connection? Can you see this endpoint that's on the internet? Yes, you know you're, you're not you're not getting stuck in you know cross-site routing. You're not getting uh, stuck in let's say potentially a complex WAN with routing issues. Where it gets a bit more complicated for the IT admin is it's maybe becoming a bit more of a black box. How this traffic is uh, transiting over my network? It's not even my network anymore. Um, and so actually some of the troubleshooting around, hey, this application's got a performance issue, this user's reporting, this app is slow. Is that the ZTNA overlay? Is that the network or is that the application? And that's where we're kind of having to pivot a bit of our troubleshooting, our thinking and our, 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 our sort of approach here. Because, you know, one of the traditional tests we do is, does the application work well when you connect from an office? Well, that's no longer going to be a valid test because the office is just going directly over the internet or the office, you're in the office and you're using your 5G SIM, or you're just you know connecting as you are at home. So there is a bit of complexity that's, that, that slips in, but I think the agility the business gets, the security benefits, and some of the simplification outweighs you know, that complexity, which, which it will be solved. You know, as this model gets more and more adopted, solutions will start to emerge for that. I think it's interesting. As always, the problem space shifts. I don't ever... It's rare that the problem disappears. It's just where the problem uh, shows itself uh, changes. So um, what what we often see is that the problem moves into the identity space. Actually, your identity governance and orchestration and automation has becomes a really important part of your IT ecosystem. Uh, it's no longer go and copy and clone Dean's AD uh, role and create a new user from duplicate the user, put a different name in, jobs are good. And all of a sudden you do need to understand what applications people have access to because it's a fail closed system. You know, if you don't give anyone access, 
they won't have access. There's nothing there. You know, it's not just like connecting, getting an IP address. And, you know, if you've got poor network segmentation, you've got great availability. It doesn't work like that anymore. The other thing that's that I think is really interesting is how do you onboard applications into your ZTNA framework? So you kind of, you create this amazing fabric of connectivity that goes out across all the different environments. And you say you nail your identity side down and you get that big done. Well, how do you add an application to this? Because it's not the same as just deploying a server with an IP address. Well, yes, that's clearly part of it. But there's now a step. There's an additional step that didn't exist before. You've got to publish that onto the ZTNA fabric. And you've got to tell the fabric who should have access to that application, what group, what users. Um, Rajiv, when we spoke before, you... I asked you, and maybe I'll ask you this question so that the listeners can listen, you know, what, what would be some of the lessons you've learned? And that was one of the things you spoke to me about. Yeah, so on the whole Zero Trust model, having a good identity strategy, identity management is critical because one of your key criteria is who is this user? So, you know, we talk about, hey, we only want to give access to this application to marketing. Well, do you know who's in marketing? How do you automate adding people to the marketing group? So having a really robust identity strategy is critical. And this also covers, you know, your leavers process. So before traditionally, hey, I want to, this person's left. Well, once they leave the building, they no longer have access. Well, actually, it, it doesn't work like that anymore. You have to make sure their accounts are revoked in a, a timely manner. Um, so having a, a, a good, strong identity strategy, understanding how you're going to do user validation, you know, have you got a good uh, MFA, multi-factor approach, user validation, having that problem space understood is critical. And this is part of this is around breaking up the ZTNA problem into workable pieces. Yeah, if you try and tackle it all at once, it's, it's going to be difficult. So having a good, strong identity strategy is critical. Well, on the flip side, yeah, adding apps. So we, we started this, this program of work and we were, well, we've probably got maybe 200 applications, 300 applications. And I think as of today, we're into a couple of thousand. And we, yeah, we, we didn't envisage that actually everything becomes an application. So a test network becomes an application. And for that, that test network, we need to know the ports that are being accessed, who needs access. This server that's used by somebody, that's an application. So, you know, we were, we started this and we were like, oh, there can't be that many applications. But actually, because of the way you have to think about this, you have to define everything as an application. The list grew and grew and grew. And we also started finding out about apps that were undocumented because, you know, traditionally, hey, I'll just plug into the network and I could access this app. I didn't have to tell anyone about this random build server that, I, that I'd spun up. But because now we were having to define every app, People have to say, yeah, I need access to this server for this group. And this becomes a scaling problem. So one of the things we invested in is self-service tooling and, and automation. So, you know, with some very smart people on my team built some automation that means, you know, off a pull request, you, you merge in a pull request and it can deploy an application onto our sort of ZTNA platform. And that, that's really important because it means actually we can start pushing the adding of apps out to the business. You know, they can have self-service. It means we get consistency and we get a very accurate um, asset register because it's not, you know, people clicking in a GUI and, and managing stuff. We have a very good asset register. We, we start getting a very good source and bank of information on the ports, the users for each of these applications. So I think one of the things we learned quickly was that there are definitely more apps than you think. When you start breaking this down, everything becomes an application. Um, and, you know, for some of your users who own these applications, they've never had to 
answer these questions like, well, okay, tell me what are all the web interfaces? What are all the web URLs? What ports do you need? Do you know the user groups? And, you know, we sometimes have conversations like, oh, this app is needed by everybody in Sophos. Is that really the case? Or can it be scaled down a bit and then you'd eventually find out, yes, a particular business unit with a few edge cases? And those are things we we really didn't expect when we started this program because we, we just didn't know. Yeah, we started this four years ago, but by going through this path and by moving people onto this ZTNA model, we started, you know, finding out about more, more and more applications. We started building up the uh, the sort of ZTNA app. So, so there's a governance layer there of being able to modernize essentially how you're delivering this stuff, but fundamentally getting really good visibility on what people are using, accessing. Now, what happens? for those applications that are outside of that model, if that becomes a strategy for organizations where they're kind of going through this transition to onboard these applications and deliver them in this zero trust world, what, what are those applications that are left behind? How do you manage those? How do you find those? And how do you just turn off connectivity and access and then wait for someone to put their hand up and say, I can't access this thing? Or, or do you, you know, is there a proactive measure that you're putting in place to go out and uh, speak to those users? So we took a two sort of one approach. We did some discovery. We're like, hey, we know these are the apps we know about. We're going to add them proactively to the, the platform. But then we were, we were talking to our user base and we, we sold the benefits of this ZTNA approach. We're like, look, hey, this will work better from home. This is a better UX. This is just simpler. And we, we did a lot of piloting. We went, right, we're going to give you a second device that's just on the, the zero trust model. Try working on it. Tell us when you start hitting roadblocks because apps don't work. And then fall back to your own device. We'll then iterate. We'll add more apps, and we we kept going through that cycle. And so we started with 100 users. You do 100 users. You then move on to a different business unit or a different team, and you start building you know your your sort of app catalog very very quickly through this cycle. But we were quite clear with the the, the business, and they were they were quite you know patient. You know, and they they supported this. We're saying, look, actually, this model will be transformational. This will mean home working just works. This means in the office, things become simpler. This will have benefits for Sophos as, as an org. So we, we really did work with our user base. Say, right, here's a device. It's on this new model. Go in, uh, try working on it. Tell us what breaks. Tell us what, what, what sort of apps don't work. Fall back to your own device. We'll add them and just keep, keep that iteration going. And I think you find, you know, if you drop into a business unit and then into a team, one person will suddenly come back with 20 apps and then you add the next person on. And they, their experience is a bit better because the 20 apps that the first person found have now been added, and it just keeps getting better and better. So there was a lot of iteration, and we had to take this approach of giving them a separate device because we wanted stuff to fail shut so we'd find out about the app. It'd be very hard retrospectively to look through audit logs to going, oh, you're on the device, you connected to these apps using the traditional connection methods, you use you know, the new world these apps so it, 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 for us it, it, it was a lot simpler to sort of iterate and pilot continuously to start building up the the app catalog yeah it's that kind of phase approach luca realistically for you know customers organizations that we, we, you talk to you talk about security you talk about zero trust and that kind of journey if you will to go to these models do you see that the security transformation that we're seeing customers and the identity transformation some of the stuff we talked about today do you see it evolving into workload application transformation or bringing that much more closer into making decisions as to what you do of applications? Because that's never really been a security focus before. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think 
they're all part of the same story, really, aren't they? You know, we're, we're talking about how do we deliver applications in the most appropriate way for a, a modern environment. Mm. And, and that's got to start with providing connectivity, isn't it? It's got to be ensuring that you can, your users can access those applications. It also then drives towards a conversation around, okay, well, how do I deploy my applications and how do I start to consider um, the best location for those applications and the architectures that they run in? You know, do I need to take a monolithic application and break it apart? You know, do I need to go to more of a microservices-based architecture? And what that then starts to bring on is, well, how do I deploy those applications? How do I test those? How do I build those? Which starts to bring you into the kind of infrastructure as code conversation, which is kind of some of the stuff Rajiv was was mentioning when he was saying, well, you know, actually now, you know, actually we're going to, we build everything from from our CI/CD pipeline as part of that we tell ZTNA fabric how to present this application out to users and it's all an element of abstraction isn't it it's all about trying to abstract the different technical complexities where actually somebody who's developing an application or alternatively somebody who's accessing an application can just write a standard set of declarative statements you know this application is this thing you know it runs in this way it has this type of data in it it needs to be located in these types of geographic regions and it needs to be accessed by these types of people and fundamentally when we think about a really modern IT architecture or maybe even a cloud native IT architecture, those are the types of things that are just kind of expected. It's just expected that you'll be able to do that. And then all the cleverness sits in the underneath in the fabric that then sits there and knows how to take those declarative statements and realize that what you mean by that is Dean Gardner, who sits in Oxford in the UK, needs to access an application that needs to be located in South America that runs on Kubernetes uh, infrastructure that needs to have this security profile to it and needs to be routed over the internet thousands of miles and BGP and encryption and all this magical stuff needs to happen end to end. And you just press go and all of this complexity exists there. But it all starts with this idea of trying to push towards this. How do we build or buy or consume platforms that allow me to work with that level of complexity, but abstract it to the point that I can just get back to this idea of declarative statements? And that to me comes back to something that Rajiv mentioned earlier, this consumer world that we're used to now, receive a phone, plug a phone in, download apps, you have access to all these things, link into your Google account, link into whatever account ultimately is a single sign-on metric, bringing that into the business world in a seamless way. Is that kind of what we're, we're, we're getting to in, in terms of what and, and where organizations should be heading, or at least should be partway through? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the, the, the focus is to make our employees more successful and productive. And I think if they're battling connectivity, if they're battling getting you know users access to an application because it's a, there's a network issue or they need to get firewall holes poked here, we're not helping our, our employees be more successful. We're not helping them do their actual job. You know, they're not here to spend days navigating how I get, you know, Bobbin accounting access to this app. They're here to deliver specific outcomes and i think you know when you look at the consumer side if when you go and connect to that SaaS service that you're using at home if it was a rubbish experience connecting if it was difficult you'd just walk away you'd go no i'm going to pick another service and i think what, what we're seeing on the corporate side is is something similar you know SaaS services you know shadow it it does mean sometimes people do sign up to services where they're slightly simpler to use and that i think is a symptom of where stuff isn't working for them on the it side so for me user experience is critical and i think the, the ztna approach and just removing that complexity of being at home not having to connect the vpn not having to check that you've got this certificate or that your your, your route has got this or having to muck about with dns settings just just makes life easier for our users where it just works it just works like the services they're used to consuming 
at home. Rajiv, you're talking about security being an enabler and not a blocker. Yeah. When did that happen? <laughs> well, I think the, 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 the short joke I make about Z2A is it's one of those unique projects that's made CISO happy and the CIO happy. You know, we've got a real user benefit. We've got a real security benefit. So we've got a massive benefit for, for, for Sophos. This isn't a we've improved security, but we've had a detrimental user experience or we've improved user experience at the cost of security. We've, we've, you know, this is one of those unique I suppose technologies, programs that, that that achieves both. I've got users who are more secure and they're more productive because of ZTNA. And that's a fantastic thing to be able to say. I mean, it feels like it harks back to what we were discussing on our last episode with Andy uh, from Laceworks, who was the CISO at Laceworks, and he talks about the, the modern CISO can't be a policeman. Security has to be an enabler. It has to go towards that that approach because we can't stop business. And if we are, then we're not being successful in our jobs as a security people. We have to find ways to make business work, but in, in a way that the risk is managed appropriately. So my final question, we talked about 5G. We talk about the, the, you know, other things that are coming or there that, that are coming and that, that are integrating into this zero trust world. What, what next? What, what, where is this evolving to? Where is zero trust and that whole landscape going? Some, some final thoughts on, on that, that question. We barely got there, mate. <laughs> we can't be evolving yet. <laughs> I think the continuous access framework is going to continue to evolve. So being able to get signals about, hey, something has changed about this user or this device, go and revoke access from a SaaS app session. I think that's going to be the next big exciting phase. And, yeah, that's, that's going to be critical as we start moving from this, hey, it, it's, a, it's a binary you were trusted at this point, continue for forevermore. I think the, the sort of continuous signal work is going, to, is going to continue to evolve and it's going to be really exciting because it means actually I get access to the SaaS app and something changes about my state, then I get revoked. And as you know, the standards emerge, they get adopted. Being able to deliver that at scale in a corporate environment is going to be fantastic. Um, and that may allow us to be a bit more open around where apps are available. You know, There's this great debate that always happens, like should some apps be available on somebody's personal device? Should they only be restricted to a corporate device? Well, actually, if you, if you can get good signal data on the personal, from the personal device, and you can revoke access, then that, that, that's, that's quite ex- exciting. That again, just helps the employees be a bit more productive. I think for me, the other exciting area is going to be, how do we solve this for machine to machine? What does that look like? So, you know, when we started this uh, program back in Sophos, you know, we, when we would talk to vendors, you know, we were looking for stuff like print software, we were talking to other vendors, you know, and they, they, they weren't aware of Zero Trust. They were like, uh, tell us your IP range, your public IP range, and we'll whitelist that. And we're like, it doesn't work like that. And now the market's caught up and people are building products that are designed for this model. What's going to be interesting is how does the sort of machine-to-machine world evolve to where actually some of these the technologies we deploy on, on servers don't assume that, hey, I'm on the same segment as, as the other server I need to talk to and it's fully trusted. And that's that's going to be a considerable shift. That's going to be, I think, another decade because we have a lot of legacy technologies that aren't just going to to evolve they're going to get displaced and i think it's just going to be interesting to watch how that evolves over the next few years there's still a long way to go on the the, on the zero trust stuff i think i think there's some really exciting stuff coming with the the user identity stuff i think if we can crack machine to machine at scale and i I think for me this is always the interesting thing of you can probably do it in a lab environment or very very specific technologies what i always am curious to see is right Show me how you do this in an organization that isn't 
born in the cloud that hasn't just existed for 18 months, has no legacy. And, you know, I, I just don't think we're quite there yet. Yeah. To build a little bit on what Rajiv said, I think um, on the signals point, it, it really becomes a, a data problem, both in taxonomy. So how do we create a standard a data standard for the way we exchange security data, both between systems within one vendor's ecosystem, but also across ecosystems. You know, the, the key challenge I still see is lock-in. You know, vendors want to keep everyone inside their world, you know, because actually they, they want to deliver a better outcome, but actually very few organizations have only one vendor and actually we still don't have great opportunities for inter-vendor sharing. You know, I think open APIs have become more, freely available from our, our vendor and partner community, but there's still not that drive to create integration, to share data effectively. So I think as we try to go towards a zero trust environment, how we share signals from the operating system, from the network, from the endpoint vendor, from the cloud security, from this, from the ZTNA approach is, is really important, uh, especially if we want to truly kind of achieve this integrated vision that we see in the future. To the second point uh, about machine to machine identity, you know, um, our friends at HPE were talking about Project Aurora, weren't they, uh, there uh, kickoff earlier this year and, and really trying to look at how do you leverage device attestation. So right the way down to the silicon, how can machines literally attest who they are when they're communicating with each other? And that's an incredibly complex thing to fix, you know, and an incredible amount of infrastructure required to effectively allow two machines to validate each other's identities. And is critically important when we're talking about manufacturing environments where you might have two machines, robots, pieces of software being responsible for security and safety of, of human life, essentially. So that machine-to-machine -machine element is, is very important. But yeah, as Rajiv said, definitely not something that's been fixed today. Machine-to-machine -machine communication that actually starts thinking for itself. That's a scary thought in itself. But that's where, yeah, it, it, having a conversation at machine level. Yeah, fascinating stuff, actually. And very thought-provoking, I'd say. Skynet, here we come. On that note, I will say thank you to... Adam Luca and Rajiv, thank you so much for your contribution today. It's been fascinating. And our next episode is also about security. So that will be coming uh, very soon in our trilogy of security episodes. If you want to contact us or if you've got anything that you want to feedback, then please contact us on our WhatsApp number. It's 07548 759 732. Once again, it's 07548 759 732. And we look forward to your company again on the next episode. Mm -hmm.